What do you get when you mix chasing an ungodly amount of skulls and Raymond? You get a good reason to watch movies after work. Hey there, guys. It's Thomas Green. And I'm Alex Lewis. And this is Movies After Work. And today we are covering the 1990s serial period superhero action and probably a few other genre movie, The Phantom, starring the one, the only... Titanic's Billy Zane. <laughs> so we're not doing Phantom of the Opera. No, 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 no. Okay. I uh, we we have to record another night because I I just spent the last two hours watching Phantom of the Opera. Oh, I'm. So. <laughs> if you start singing Masquerade, I will end you. <laughs> I don't know how from over time. here, but I will. It's a joke for 5% of musical theater people to, to enjoy that one. That's about it. <laughs> um, so, for those of you who don't live in Pennsylvania, um, I don't know how it is in the rest of the world, but it's not April anymore. No, no it's not. It's not April. It, it, we've bounced back into January. Um, my theory is that Mother Nature went, okay. All right, we're just going to start all over again and see if you fuckers can get how to handle this situation right. <laughs> we just restarted 2020, yeah. I th I think I think Mother Nature just hit the reset and we haven't figured it out yet. That's that's yeah. my that's my working theory right now because it's the only thing that makes sense. That seems plausible. Well, I thought I was done sitting in my car barely being able to see out of it because of all the snow on it, but uh -huh. I was wrong. Here, here I am yet again. There, there's no snow this way, but uh, I, I'm actually kind of surprised with with how cold it was for the last couple days. We have lot like yesterday. It was kind of like I could get away with convincing my daughter not to go out and do it because it was kind of mushy. Now I could take her out to sled and make snowmen. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's bullshit. Is what it is. Yeah. Um, I'm a little bitter Our about that. Former boss who now lives in Erie, I mean, I see, like, pictures from, from, you know, that his wife posts, like, they are just covered in snow right now. Yeah. Yeah, well, if, if there's anywhere that we're, that we're just trying to wipe out things and, and try again, Erie is definitely an option for, for where to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I... I say that playing the odds that we don't have anyone who lives in Erie and would be offended by that joke. <laughs> I, I'm playing those odds. Um, so, first and foremost, uh, obviously, there really aren't a lot of trailers out right now. Uh, I did watch one that got released, um, and I, I, I didn't recommend you to watch it, Alex, Specifically because I want our friendship to remain. Yeah. And that is uh, the trailer for Valley Girl. The, Valley Girl. No, I have not the seen this. The musical remake of the 1980s film. Um, <laughs> so basically, it's... Watching the trailer, I could take it as... Take everything you hate about modern... Both musicals and pop music... And take every 80s song that you hear on the radio halfway through and go, oh, I haven't heard this in ages. 
but I'm not sad that I'm missing most of the song and get to go away from it sooner than the normal. Take those yeah. two things, violently force them together, and add Logan Paul, and you've got Valley Girl. Oh, okay. All right. So you're, you're kind of convincing me that I that I should check this out. <laughs> <laughs> you of, of all the things I try to get you to watch. <laughs> I'm trying to of steer. All the things you've got me to watch. <laughs> I'm this, trying to. This pr- is the least of my worries. I'm trying to protect you from this one, and you're going. Oh, I'm gonna <laughs> dive right in. No, I, I will willingly dive into this. You've you've taken my head and submerged me in some serious <laughs> shit before. <laughs> Against my will. You know, I you you make it seem like I force you to watch all the movies that we watch on this show. Some of them have been your picks. Most of them, you could have said no, no. You know, with, uh, you know, jumping ahead a little bit with the Phantom, like I've seen it in passing. Like I've never watched it. I've seen like the thumbnail in passing on, on Amazon prime, Mm -hmm. but like, I literally had no idea what I was getting into. I did not (laughs) even know Billy Zane was in this. Uh, when you texted me and was like, we're watching the Phantom. We want to like let's try to record this that this night or this night. I'm like, okay, sounds good. And I came home today. I was like, I don't even know what this is. Like, I don't know if this is like a knockoff superhero or something. Like, yeah, our it was our te- our uh, our text conversation reads almost like you trying to talk me out of it. So it's like <laughs> I told you that, and you're like, oh, okay, all right. What's it on? <laughs> the 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 nineteen ninety six one, and that's the I one we're like... watching. <laughs> like it was like you kept trying to get me to go. No, nah, I'm just kidding with you. We're not doing that. No, honestly, I was just triple checking to make sure. I'm like, <laughs> okay, this looks like it could possibly be a remake of something that older and hopefully better. Like. <laughs> I was I was thirty minutes in when I texted you and said the nineteen ninety six one, right? Like, so you were really trying to bail. Oh, I was I was hedging my bets. I'm like, I I really hope I'm not investing a half an hour into this before I realize I'm watching the wrong movie. Alright, well, hey, let's I mean what the hell, let's dive into it. Um so so what was it about that ninety or that thirty minute mark that that made you go I really need to make sure I actually have to watch this. <laughs> I think that was the first time we see Billy Zane, like, in his cave, uh, you know, unmasked. And I was like, because I had a sneaking suspicion throughout the film. Like, the thumbnail itself, I'm like, that looks a lot like Billy Zane. <laughs> but I honestly was not 100% sure until he was in his cave without his... Uh, <laughs> without the mask without on his cowl on yeah his mask or whatever um but i had to ask you prior to us starting recording um the actor who plays john snow his name because i couldn't remember kit harrington yeah and it dawned on me that like billy zane is like the kit harrington of the 90s like why are you bashing so much on billy zane <laughs> No, Why is there Zane. all of the, like, yeah, as soon as I saw the guy's fucking face, I had to make sure I wasn't stuck with this. You know who he reminds me of? The guy who always looks like he's crying from Game of Thrones that couldn't ha- couldn't make his career work. 
<laughs> no. <laughs> Honestly, it's not a knock on Billy Zane. I'm going to make you watch Pompeii now. It's more of a compliment to get Harrington. But, like, Billy Zane is the guy that, like, I don't know, he just kind of is, is never in the right thing. And he's, he's only, like, known for or popular in two or three things that, that people really liked. Um, so that was the connection that I made in my mind between him and Kit Harrington. Well, well, I mean, we've, you know, we've got the Phantom, we've got Titanic, we, you know, he was in Dead Calm. Dude, Phantom, like, that's something people like and reminisce about. <laughs> See, it really no, does not I, sound like you're on his side. <laughs> I'm much more of a fan of the self-aware, let me be a parody of myself or what I used to be, Billy Zane and Zoolander. Okay, I... Because he's, he's kind of adopted that persona. Uh, to a sense, yeah, to a sense. But, I mean, it... You know, it's unfortunate, because this, this was supposed to be part one of a trilogy, and then because the movie didn't do well at the box office, they, they canceled the second and third film. So we, I mean, we could have gotten more of of Billy Zane in this movie. But because nobody decided to go to the theaters to see it, um, the, this was this is the result. This is what happened. Yeah. You and, know, I'm having a really hard time talking to you right now because I can't discern what your opinion of this film is genuinely. Well, let me tell you my opinion. The reason I'm shitting on the people that didn't go see this and got the sequels canceled is because I did go see it in theaters. <laughs> I saw this movie when it was originally released, and you know what? Plot twist for this for this podcast: this movie's kind of warm and near and dear to my heart. <laughs> Are there flaws? Right, of fucking your, course. This is your Clifford's uh, Little Monsters <laughs> uh, episode where you have to defend it. Yes, this is this <laughs> is the I episode where I'm defending a movie. Yes, it is. <laughs> we have we have finally gotten to that point. <laughs> Doing this podcast for over a year and we finally got into a movie where I'm having to sit here and go, no, guys, I I know that part was shit, but this is actually really good. <laughs> you know, if you if you view this movie as a sort of um you know what it most like is most similar to in my mind is Looney Tunes back in action. Oh fuck you. Uh, what the fuck? Really? The really? Really? That wasn't an insult. No, Anyone no. who actually listens to this episode, please comment on whether or not that was an insult, because it felt like an insult. Xander Drax is Steve Martin's character from Looney Tunes Back in Action. <laughs> <laughs> you can't tell me that it's not. It. I I really am just dumbfounded by that. This is the weirdest fucking comparison I've heard. They go into a jungle. They're looking for a, a skull. It's very similar. You know what? You know what this movie is also similar to because it was clearly trying to emulate it. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes, this this film is very similar to a lot of things. The, like Zan I, Xander Drax is very clearly Ivan Ooze from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Paul Paul Freeman, I think that's his name. He's Ivan Ooze to me. I'm a '90s yeah. kid, so he's Ivan Ooze. Um, but I mean, this 
by no means do I think that this is like an amazing movie. Obviously, you know, it wasn't on my top 100 that I, that I put out. It's one of those movies that's got a lot of, it's got a lot of inherent flaws, obviously. I'm not going to deny that. But, you know, I watched it when I was a kid and the, you know, it was one of my first like big theater going experiences that I had. I, and I remember certain parts of the movie just kind of ingraining themselves permanently into my head and, um, oh, they're ingrained in my head now too. Well, you just watched the fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. A little bit of distance from this film. And I, I, I feel like most of it will be kind of forgettable. Next time we record, I'll quiz you on the movie and see how much you remember. All right, um, go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can take that much hurt. Um, but I have a question for you. Okay. Um, if I can interrupt what, uh, what movie that we've talked about or reviewed do you think this film is most similar to? <sighs> or, or in quality is closest to? Oh, we're talking quality, not like same vein. Like if yeah. you like this movie, you would like this movie. We're talking quality. Yes. Yes. Um, honestly, I, I, cause I can't think of every single film that we've watched off the top of my head. Um, but I guess if I'm going close to anything, it would be somewhere in that John Carter Dune world. Gotcha. Of like, I, I had a feeling that you were going to say John Carter. I think this falls a little bit below like 13th warrior for me. <laughs> well, the 13th, okay. 13th warrior. That does make sense because it's, it's that same, like it's that nineties. We keep trying to keep the like period piece action, you know, the period action set piece yeah. movies alive. And we're just, we just don't have it right. Um, I mean, you watch movies like 13th warrior, you watch movies like, um, the phantom, uh, or, uh, other movies that were in the same vein as the phantom, like Dick Tracy or the shadow. Cause all three of those movies, they're all basically old serials turned into movies in the nineties yes. that did this, not this do well. Felt a lot like Dick Tracy to me. Yeah. It's all movies that were made around the same time period based from the same like realm of material and all had equal amounts of success at the box office or yeah. lack thereof. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's fun Cause you watch all those kinds of movies and then you, and, and it kind of reminds you why the first Pirates of the Caribbean was such a big deal when it came out. Because it wasn't just, oh, we've got this pirate movie that works for the first time in e forever. It was, we've got a like this action set piece period movie that's not like an Oscar bait drama film. And yeah. it's actually working. Um, yeah. So it, well, you kind of you had that too with like things like The Mummy. Like, yeah, the, the, it's very similar in uh, in its I don't know tone or concept to like the mummy to um to you know well, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean like the, the you know the, uh, the the edge I would say that the mummy has over this movie more than anything else regard you know outside of a lot of other factors but the biggest factor is uh, the mummy embraces and 
is amused with the audience at the sort of campiness of the genre and the period yes. set piece and all it's it embraces and has fun with it and as a result gives you your 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 romantic hero character is kind of in on it yeah um whereas with this movie he's not as you know he's not as fun and chummy and you yeah. know, if you if if he was more wisecracking and stuff like that, but you also would then have to depart from who the character was in yeah. his original creation. Um, but we agree that this this film is is similar to two, you know, incredible Brendan Fraser performances: one in The Mummy and one in Looney Tunes Back in Action. <laughs> I, I will agree with you on the mummy on the Looney Tunes stuff. You y'all can go fuck yourself. <laughs> you know you you can just you can sit there and and stew with Jenna Elfman's career. Okay, just go ahead and do it. Um, but I mean talking. I mean this movie, this movie for for the what it is, it does have a couple of names that are better known and more popular these days in it it's i mean obviously this was one one of her first big roles ever in a film Catherine zeta jones is in this movie um and then as the the main henchman you've got james remmer who uh is most well known as playing the the dead father on dexter yes um that's i mean that's his bit like (laughs) If, I, if I'm going to mention him to my friends, that's where their brains are immediately going to go. But he's a, he's a name. Like he, he is, a, at the end of the day, he is a name that people know. He might not be standard A-lister, but, you know, you've got guy who no, became famous for a series. Who's, who's in a, you know, he's, like we talked about um, last week, he's the I've seen that guy. He guy. is an I've seen that guy kind of guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He really is. But, like... This movie, he's just chewing the scenery in every scene he's in. Here's the thing, like, though. He kind of hams it up. He hams it up, but he's fucking brilliant. <laughs> you, you, like, the the moment, I don't know if you noticed it, but one of my favorite moments in the whole movie, and I don't know if I'd ever noticed it until I was watching the movie, re-watching the movie for doing this episode, but when it's revealed to them that there is a fourth skull... If you look at him instead of at Treat Williams, yeah. he's standing there staring at his fingers, counting to three, <laughs> like he's not sure he's ever counted to three right before. And it is hysterical. That's great. Um, it, like, it's literally worth going back to that point in the movie just to watch that moment. Because his the business he's doing to keep himself busy in that moment is fantastic. Um, I will say uh, one one of the things that you you do have to give the movie credit for is that it did a better job than a lot of a lot of movies still to this day did with its leading lady. Um, she's got. How much do you think that has to do with her being the, you know, kind of female badass of the 90s being in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie? Well, I don't... 
I mean, the, the Buffy movie was, was camp. It was like, it was a cult film. Um, that's, that's true. I'm kind of imparting, you know, modern bias on it. I'm, I, 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 I realized it probably wasn't the biggest thing whenever it came out. It was very much a cult film, uh, when it came out. So I'm not really sure how much she was coasting on that per se. She, I could, I can believe that she got the role in this in part based off of that movie, but, um, but in terms of the character being shaped around her, I, I would doubt that. Um, cause she just, in general, she's, you know, she's got some funny moments. She's got plenty of moments where she is trying, you know, where she's trying to be the badass and to the movie's credit, despite being a movie in, that's set in the 1930s where you've got people using like Dame broad and a lot of those, those old stereotypical slang words for women. Yeah. You, you get that, you know, you get that first sequence with her in the phantom where, you know, he keeps trying, you know, he keeps trying to rescue her because it's the whole reason he's there. Like yeah. at no point, at no point is he like, you're a woman, you can't do this. He's literally just like, but it's my rescue. It's my rescue. I came here to rescue you. So let me go in front. Like he's getting like, he's getting kind of annoyed that he's here to rescue her and she doesn't need the help that much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, uh. I liked her line of, I, I appreciate all your help, but I can take it from here. Like you did, you did a great job, but I could take it from yeah. here because she like absolutely could just get out on her own at that point. Yeah. She's, she's fairly disinterested in, in him helping. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, it's some, it's some good, I mean, they honestly, they do have some, some decent chemistry together. Yeah, yeah. I'd I mean, say it's not, it doesn't feel com- completely forced. It's more. I mean, the chemistry is at its best when it's him as Phantom. Like when it's him as Kit, mm-hmm. the chemistry's not as good. Mm-hmm. But when it's him as Phantom, the, it's solid chemistry. Yeah. They, I I buy them. A, you know, I buy them getting in. You know, I buy them being into each other. Um, and it would probably be even better if it didn't have things like fucking rape whistle Jimmy. (laughs) Literally, that was that was one of the best scenes when he's like, "Oh, what is what is her name in the film?" It's it's, uh, I'm I'm completely spacing right now. Um, oh, uh, Diana, right? Yeah. He's like, how do you know our Diana? And he's like, the Phantom's like, oh, we're high, we're world college friends. And he's like, okay. <laughs> yes. He just walks off. He hears for some reason old college friends really like that. That expression to him means, and I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. I lost. I'm gonna go sit over here and eat an apple and wait for the entire reason I'm in the fucking movie to queue up in the dialogue. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I know he was a sleazeball throughout the throughout the film, but that that won some points. <laughs> he, he gives like the most crucial piece of information in the entire movie, <laughs> and somehow that's supposed to make us go. I guess it's okay that you like forced yourself on her at one point. 
and then had this look like you had just had amazing sex or something. Like, literally at one point, just kisses her without her permission. Yeah. And then the fa- the the look on his face is that thirteen year old boy who's trying to convince all of his friends that he's had sex for the first time. <laughs> like it's that same smug, like, yeah, yeah, and then I touched her boobsies. <laughs> um But I mean you know, B- Billy Zane is, is he's good in the role, he's right for the role. Um because I, I do think that having that sort of, like, calm demeanor sort of thing works for him. Mm-hmm. I can, like, and I would I would absolutely believe, given that we're talking, like, 1996, I can absolutely believe that Paramount was sitting there going, we need to snatch this guy up before Warner Brothers casts him as Batman. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's honestly what I kind of um, s- see most similar about uh, like the roles. Like he he seems very much like a Val Kilmer, and you know this is probably not a not a compliment, but kind of like a George Clooney Batman. Um, George George Clooney was a good Bruce Wayne, bad Batman, but it was really more the fault of the writing. Yeah, yeah. you know it's like. I mean, Ben Affleck was a shitty daredevil and a good Batman. Yeah. Like, not that the writing was that much better in Batman v Superman or Justice League compared to the Daredevil movie, but it was better enough. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Well, I mean, what do you think other than Titanic or, or this because you have an, a, a fondness and an attachment to it? What would you say is Billy Zane's? greatest role or you know what what made him what he was in the 90s uh well a big part of it was was dead calm uh he played the the villain in that movie opposite of nicole kidman and sam neill and he's good in it and he's terror he you know he's downright terrifying in that movie because he's socio you know he's a he's a charming sociopath um so it's part of what's interesting watching him in this is that in this movie he is genuine he's just a genuinely charming nice guy. Yeah. Um and I think that's part of the 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 under, underappreciatedness of of him for his career is that you know he could bring charm to any role he was in but was able to to turn what that charm was, you know, was it covering for something or was it just natural charm like was it covering for him being you know just a a gigantic flaming douchebag like in titanic or was it hiding that he's gonna fucking kill everyone here like it was in dead calm you know it's that sort of thing um so um, he very much an underrated actor that if you can if you can watch more of his stuff do it if you can't your loss um but yeah but going going away from him i don't think enough can be stated for just how fantastic treat williams is in this movie as the main villain oh yeah he is 
having the time of his life in this yeah. movie. It it is hilarious to me that it's the dad from Everwood. <laughs> they that that always makes me laugh thinking that because he is just he is this like high like he is this weird high pitched over the top eccentric like he is everything that Jesse Eisenberg thought that he was doing in Batman v Superman <laughs> and everything Gene Hackman was scared of doing in the original Superman. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but because he owns it, it just... Yes, he was absolutely my, my favorite part to watch in this, in this film. Um, like I had told you before we started recording, my favorite scene, my favorite line in this film <laughs> is when they're in the conference room and he's you know telling them about the skulls and how when they have two skulls together, it will show them the way to the third. And then a gentleman named Raymond goes, but you only have one skull. And he returns, Raymond, Raymond, Ray, Ray, I know where the other skull is, okay? It's like, he, just, he is having such a great time delivering that line. He's just so joyfully annoyed by that guy <laughs> and that guy's insistence on being a negative Nancy and just pissing on his parade. And it is, it really is just so much fun watching him just not give two shits about anyone else in this movie. Yeah. They, I mean, he, he really is like, he is kind of a, like, like he is, he is fun to watch when he's being diabolical. Like it's almost enjoyable, you know, as enjoyable as watching like Loki be diabolical. Like, oh, Absolutely. He, when he grabs the guy's glasses so that he can look through the microscope. Yep. And then he's like, I'll turn the, turn the focus knob. And then he just cracks his glasses in half. And he's like, well, I guess you don't need these anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and it, like, but it's oh, not even like, great. he doesn't even say it that as calmly as that. Like, because literally for, for those who have not watched the movie, because as always, we just don't give two shits about spoilers because we'd fuck it up anyway. Um, <laughs> he has this, this, this microscope uh, set up in his office spring-loaded with razor blades to like eject out of it into the eyes of someone using it so the person he wants to have use it comes in and and uses it and when you hear the spring go off the guy starts screaming and then clearly because he wants this screaming in pain lost his sight guy to hear him he doesn't just go, well, I guess you don't need these anymore. He, just, he's, he flat out goes, well, I guess you don't need these anymore. <laughs> That's true. That is more accurate. Like, it's just like, you're going to hear my great. I've been thinking about this as long as figuring out how to make the tele the microscope work. So you're going to hear this line. That microscope, by the way, one of the things etched in my brain from watching the movie when it originally came out. Oh, yeah. Although for a stupid reason. Cause I, as a kid, you know, watching the movie, not really thinking too much, not remembering a ton all the time. And it's early on in the movie that that happens. So until I got to see the movie again in college, um, to me, it, it didn't have the spring load. So I was trying to remember how in the scene he got the guy to extend it without, yeah. the, you know, the tips of the razors touching his eyes and making him pull back. Yeah. 
And I'm trying to remember, like, does he, like, grab it and spin it himself? Like, is he in charge of spinning it? Or, like... So, at one point in my mind, he was, you know, he was standing at his desk holding the focus thing for him, focusing it for him so he could spin it fast and have them shoot out. (laughs) Yeah. Clearly, young me, not as good with the sinister planning as Xander Drax. No, I think that that's a Mandela sort of thing. Kind of, yeah. It's just a... (laughs) Well, it's it's not... I I wouldn't say it's a Mandela thing. I would say it's just more... A part missing from my brain, so I tried to fill it in and just kind of accepted it. Um, whereas it's not necessarily me being fed false information at any point. It's just me, as a, as a kid, remembering that moment and loving it, trying to try, try just trying to put the pieces back together. Um, but I, the, the other thing I love about Treat Williams' character in this movie, and again, big spoilers. He doesn't give two shits when he dies. He is so... He is just so enamored with with the power of the skulls that he's literally... He dies with a big smile on his face going, Unbelievable! That's that's it. Like this weird high pitched laugh in his like pure joy, despite the fact that this pure joy is coming at the exact moment that he is dying. Yeah. You you know what's hilarious to me is, um, I'm gonna be jumping around for a minute, but when the truck falls from the from the bridge that they were going over, and there's that explosion, and I feel like it's the same recycle the same explosion is recycled whenever the airplane hits the side of the mountain yeah i could see that and i thought they were gonna just use that same recycled explosion <laughs> when he exploded at the end <laughs> that would have been icing on the cake that would have been fantastic that, that over 13th warrior for me i think that's a i think that's a level of meta that didn't exist in the 90s <laughs> I, I I think the closest that level of meta existed at that point in time was the season finale of Moonlighting, where they left the set to do the cha- the the rest of the season finale chase sequence. Um, that's oh yeah, that would have been fantastic. Um, but I, I the, the bringing that up though, it does bring up a good point t- to me is that this movie, visually speaking is impressive. This movie has fantastic set pieces. Um, it has some great set pieces, but there's also some very poorly aged CGI. Yeah, but very little of it. This movie relies very... That's, that's true. When, 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 when you see it, it stands out because there are, there are really only a, a small handful of instances. I would say there's maybe a dozen CGI effects in the entire movie mm. at most. Um, yeah. and, and most of them are in the big third act final battle. That's true. Um, yeah. the, the, I'm not even referring so much to the lasers. It, it honestly, um, I wasn't either. I love those fucking lasers. <laughs> <laughs> it was that scene when, um, when the, uh, the truck falls from the bridge because it it feels very much like a static shot of a truck being you know well slid vertically um 
see what I what I with the helicopter or the plane rather. What I thought, at least for the truck, my assumption on the truck was that they had filmed a miniature mm-hmm. with explosives on a green screen, and then put that, that very well be the case. and then put it over top of the the lot you know the footage that they had shot on the location. Yeah. Because um, I, yeah, I agree. It feels like it's not actually, you can feel that it's not actually there. Well, it um, doesn't move through the air. Not, like, not really. No, it doesn't react to, to the world around it all that much. Yeah. Um, but, but that's it, just kind of nitpicking. Yeah. And it's still, like, we're talking about a, a you know, a movie at, at Paramount, which in the nineties, they were, they were okay, but they, you know, the, in the nineties, you just, did not spend a lot of money on a movie unless you knew it was going to be huge. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's still the same way it is today. Like a lot of people, whenever I hear people shitting on like Disney and, or, or any other studio for all the tentpole franchise films, I'm just like, look back in time. Mm-hmm. Like everyone has always had the, the mentality of, I need to be guaranteed money or awards before I write you a check. That's, even half of what you need for your movie. Yeah. Um, it's amazing how many movies in the nineties have not that many sets or locations because they had to make do. Um, and this is definitely one of them. I mean, we, we literally break the budget on going to New York for the second act for like 20 minutes. And then we, get ourselves right back to indoor set pieces that we have full control over. Um, but there, I mean, again, the, the set pieces in this film are very cool. Um, the, the action is very weird. Um, just cause it's, it feels slow, but it's partially just because, all action sequences in this film up until the final fight are chase sequences. Yeah. It's all chase sequences, which as much for, for all the good things I have to say about this movie has way too many chase sequences. (laughs) Our, our characters are constantly running towards or away from people. And sometimes both, um, just just too much of that. Way too much of that. Um, but I'm looking through my notes to see what what else sticks out. You're good. Um, yeah, there, it, there's a problem too with this film um, where you don't you don't always have a concept of who has the upper hand in a situation because when they're confronted by the pirates in the you know the very last sort of set piece like you don't understand how many guns are in the room and who has guns and if the pirates have guns and you never really understand if the phantom has any like powers or or abilities or like anything whatsoever other than a purple leotard and two two handguns well it's it's part of that period piece of it's part of that that whole thing at the uh, the period piece um 
the serials that t- took place during that time, Phantom, Lone Ranger, uh, Zorro, all of these things, they're not a, you know, we're, we think these kinds of things, we think people, at least like Batman, that have 50 million gadgets and, you know, even though it doesn't make sense, a certain level of superhuman strength, but the whole thing with with characters like Lone Ranger, Phantom, Shadow, and a bunch of other ones, is that they were men of average, you know, they had the normal strength of a man who was in really good shape. They didn't have special powers. They weren't invincible. They could be killed. And usually how they kept people from thinking they could be killed was was part of their mystique. You know, with, with Lone Ranger, it was the whole concept of like you know reincar- like a sort of reincarnation sort of thing with Zorro and with Phantom it was the most traditional thing of you pass it from one generation to the next and the- you have the mask on specifically so that way people think it's the same person Yeah. so you get that whole thing in this movie where he's been you know there's been he's the 21st Phantom They've been around for 400 years, um, doing, doing this whole bit. And so, yeah, you've got, you know, you've got the James Remmer henchman who is the one who's kind of perpetuating. He's, he more than anyone else, including the Phantom himself is perpetuating, all the mythos and mystique and and whatnot of the Phantom, because as he points out five or six times in the movie, he killed the Phantom. You know, he he himself has killed. You know, he killed the Phantom. So now to suddenly be fighting the Phantom again yeah. makes no sense to him. Yeah, it confirms the concept that this this is an immortal or he's a ghost. So it's. You, Again, it's not what we're used to, and I think it's part of why if you try to, if you were to try to do this again today, which I think someone at one point did, like, what they claimed was a TV miniseries, but probably just a failed pilot they still put on the air to try to make some money. Um, I know there was something on TV, and it was like a modern, like a a reimagining set in modern times of The Phantom uh, to try to coincide with all the superhero stuff going on. But the thing is, is that he's not a superhero. He's a, he's a serial. Yeah. You know, he is, he's a serial, he's a serial hero where he's, he doesn't have that kind of stuff. Superman was the odd man out of people who had serials in like the thirties and forties because he had superpowers. Well, the rest of them really didn't. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the, the main problem with the pirates in this movie is despite being led by the, the evil overlord of mortal Kombat, Yeah. Um, and every single time I watch this movie in my head, I do go mortal Kombat. <laughs> the second he shows up on screen every time it does. It, it's like, if you play the friends theme song for people and they always clap instinctively at that spot, <laughs> It's like that for me. I can't help myself. There is no not doing it. Um, yeah. well, well, even though he is the head pirate, the rest of his pirates are less threatening than the pirates of Penzance. 
I another, wow two music two musical theater jokes in uh, in one show. I'm I'm doing good. <laughs> I got time for a third or fourth. I'll see what happens. Somebody out there is really getting. Them. There's like really two. I, if Andy from Geek Salad is listening to this episode because I know he was kind of excited for uh, to hear what my thoughts on the Phantom were. I I feel like he thought I was going to be going a different direction, but if he's listening. <laughs> He's gotten both of my my musical theater jokes at this point and has hopefully enjoyed them. Um, <laughs> if not, they'll never ask me to be on the show again. <laughs> um, but <laughs> so, um, so yeah. Admittedly, they're not super threatening, but they're basically, you know, they're they're for for a lack of a nicer way to put it, they're shoehorned in to to give the villains some time to get some space between them and the phantom so that way we can switch from the the pirate setup to the submarine setup for the final battle yeah <laughs> which the only thing that does not make sense in that section to me cuz i like it it honestly legitimately does make sense to me like we're talking about 1930, you know, 1930s. So these pirates who we know venture out from this Island and have been shooting down planes and stuff like that. It's not super surprising that they, and sinking ships and stuff. It's not super surprising that they would have half of their base be a little bit more industrial and, and for the time period modern. Yeah. What doesn't make sense is the submarine that they apparently have no control over because <laughs> he has to fire it. He has to fire them from like the launch base, which he fortunately gets to do almost on accident. And then from there, it seems like they don't actually, they, you know, they don't really go anywhere after that. So I don't know if the submarine actually works as something that actually moves on its own. Yeah. Which, very strange. Um, well, what was kind of, you know, strange for me is, like, how is this organization, uh, this the Sang Brotherhood or whatever it was, like, how are they a group of pirates, but also James Remmer is involved, and also people in New York are involved. Like, I don't, I, I couldn't quite... Well, with that. with any good criminal organization, you have to you have to expand a little bit. I mean, <laughs> not not to but, get not to. How they were unaware of of James Remmer being part of this group, and even after seeing the tattoo, still kind of distrusting of him. Was that well, was where I don't I don't think it's me. that they're distrusting of him. I think at that point they're fine with him. It's everyone else with him that they that they don't trust. Because gotcha. I mean, he show, he's not just showing up with the with the web tattoo, he's also showing up with the belt of the Phantom as proof that he's killed the Phantom. Like, yeah, they they say it's not that impressive because they've all done it, but also <laughs> that leaves them nineteen to have killed, and all of these people are in the, like their mid thirties. So he's kind of lying at that point. Yeah. So. Clearly, it's kind of impressive that this they, that this phantom killer has shown up. Um, yeah, yeah. But the, it's, you know, it's not to 
not to make light of, of something that's not that funny, you know, think about when ISIS was getting big in, you know, a few years ago when they were gaining, when they were gaining power, you had Al Qaeda, you know, Al Qaeda. And then shortly after Al Qaeda did it, ISIS did as well. They were going to like Africa and other countries. Like they were spreading out their empire a little bit to try to, to gain more forces. It's, you know, it's not, it's not unbelievable that they have so many moving parts that not everyone knows everyone. Cause we, we never specifically state that this guy's like the head of the pirates. Yeah. Like he probably technically is, but we never flat out state it, which probably is for potential sequel reasons. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, it never got a sequel. So sure. He's the head pirate. Yeah. Congratulations. You killed him by throwing him into the pit of, you say they're sharks, but I know I heard dolphin noises when they were first coming into the room, and those are dolphin fins, so those are just killer dolphins. Still equally dangerous, but they weren't sharks. When they first come in, I hear I hear that, like, echo the dolphin of, like, like, that weird, like, cackle giggle thing that dolphins do. Yeah, I have a shitty dolphin accent. Fuck you, Alex. I'm breaking Alex. That was, that was great. <laughs> we just have to like <laughs> dub in the uh, the SpongeBob. No, no, no. I stand by my shitty dolphin impression. I stand firmly beside it. It's it's what's gonna make this show famous. I'm I'm telling you. <laughs> telling you right now that's that's what the shoots this that's what gets us that's what gets us all the way up to to getting you know surpassing ourselves and getting up to 40 views or listens per episode gotta put out the word (laughs) but i mean over overall i mean this is not by any stretch of the imagination a perfect movie um by 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 no means and i'm not thinking you know it's it's a movie that I saw as a kid, stuck with me, watched it when I was older, and was surprised that it wasn't as catastrophically bad as I... Like, when I went into watching it for the first time after having seen it as a kid in theaters, I was expecting the worst. Yeah. I was expecting a shit movie. And, you know, like, honestly, the the the, the most painful part of this movie is Catherine Zeta-Jones' constant need to bone someone. <laughs> yeah. Like, her her unstoppable lust that she has yeah. throughout, like, everything's an innuendo, like, literally up until the point where she, like, her kicking a pirate in the crotch to protect the other girl yeah. is, like... It's like she finally got it out of her system and she can talk like a normal human being for the <laughs> remainder of the movie. She seemed she she definitely seemed like a like an Austin Powers like mockery of a Bond girl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she it seemed like like I a small part of me thinks that whoever wrote Goldeneye was watching this movie while they were writing it. And then look down and realize that the Fami Jenkinson Jansen like 
evil sex spy character that they had just been like plagiarizing Catherine J- Zeta Jones character and weren't paying attention. Oh shit. Well, the scripts do. I'm just going to send it to them anyway. No one's going to notice. Nobody saw this movie. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just don't cast this person. You'll, you'll understand why in a few years. Um, but yeah, I, I found it hysterical because you, you got like, but it, it, the the thing I appreciated though was that even the rest of the movie didn't seem to buy into her bullshit. Yeah, because literally you get to the point where she's just like, the Phantom's in love with her. Why do you say that? Because he could have had me, and he chose her. That could only that could only be love, or just bad judgment. <laughs> Like, they just immediately brush off her whole hypothesis. Yeah. And ironically, it's one of the only times in the movie she's right about something 100%. But still, she's just like, the whole of just being like, he could have me and I'm amazing. Well, he didn't. (laughs) He didn't. We're moving on because we don't really care about this. Yeah. It's not time yet for us to do the damsel in distress, so I'm not going to believe you. (laughs) But it's, I mean, it's, the movie is 100% camp. It takes itself too seriously to be sure, but not so incredibly seriously that it becomes like a, like a Jupiter ascending where, yeah. It really just doesn't feel like the movie has any sort of self- sense of humor about itself. Mm-hmm. Like it thinks all the jokes it's telling are brilliant sort of thing. Like it, the movie and John Carter to some extent also really just was not, was taking itself too seriously. But yeah. th- I mean, this movie, it, it takes itself seriously, but not too seriously. Um, yeah, but it, it, it is also, not aware enough of how camp it is. I mean, you kind of touched on that, but yeah, I, I think if it had more, more self-awareness, um, it, it, if it could be a little bit more meta, I think, I think it would actually be a lot more fun. I, I think if you made this movie in this day and age, in this kind of era of superheroes, mm-hmm. were completely upfront and honest about, the movie like it's it looks like a superhero movie but guys he doesn't have superpowers so just you know slap that down right now at that point i think it turns into something like you know this this example is maybe a little too dark but like it turns into something like super like it turns into a guy being you know like the fact that he doesn't have superpowers is is the joke of the film yeah um yeah, I can yeah, see that. I think I think a, a modern day Phantom would be much more self aware, much more camp, much more tongue in cheek. Let's let's play with this guy who doesn't have powers and it's you know. But it's still absolutely it absolutely party. still needs to be a period piece though. I don't think you can yeah. make something like this and have it take place in the present day. Um, and I think part of I think part of that is you can't really do present day without it being like you said, like the movie Super. Um, and then you get you know you gotta. You know, for your villains, you got to do something sort of Jake Gyllenhaal as Magneto and Spider-Man sort of thing. Mysterio. 
Mysterio. I don't know what I said. I'm... You said Magneto. It's Magneto? <laughs> well, I can't feel my toes right now, so. <laughs> um, but I think, <laughs> I think the, I think the other important thing is that you, you know, you don't cast Kit Harrington. I think that's also the other really important thing. Um, and anyone involved in uh, Looney Tunes back in action doesn't doesn't get allowed to be a participant in this movie. I'm I'm honestly I'm really scared right now that I'm gonna after after we're done recording this episode I'm really worried that I'm gonna go. I wonder what else the guy who directed the Phantom directed. Fuck Looney Tunes, damn it! I'm, oh man, I should have. I'm legit worried about that now. I'm really worried that the writer and or the director are going to have been associated with Looney Tunes back in action, and what you said is going to hold any weight whatsoever. <laughs> oh, it holds weight. It I holds jack shit of weight. Anyone listening right now can weigh in on this. Uh, yes, anyone listening is welcome to weigh in, but you're full of shit. There's, there's no fucking correlation. Um, <laughs> plenty, of mo- plenty of movies have people go into the jungle. <laughs> that is that is not a good enough basis for saying that two movies are similar. <laughs> All right, if you say so. I, I'm, I'm just gonna back away from a joke I was about to make. Okay, but okay, so you, you 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 checked and you said I'm safe. He did not direct Looney Tunes back in action. Do us won't talk to me anymore. I've I'll drag this on too long. <laughs> well, I'll just real quick um, give my final thing. I think this is absolutely a movie that people should watch. It's you know it's fun. Um, I think it's worth a watch, uh, especially if any of the multiple genres involved in the movie are uh, are are ones that you're a fan of. I think this movie is worth a watch in that respect. So. You know, give it a listen once yeah. Duez comes back from whatever he's doing. Um, get his. Get I'm his. Here. Oh, you're here now. Okay. You said a minute, so I was giving you a minute. Sorry, it, it was it was. No, no, no! It was getting really staticky for a second. Oh, okay. Um. Yeah, yeah, sure. But sure. I'm, I'm here. Um. <laughs> there's always going to be one, at least. Yeah. Um. So, but I mean, if I can, if I could summarize my thoughts a little bit, by all um, means. I mean, I think this is overall pretty. Um, I mean, it, it's not horrible by any means. We've watched some things that are real bad, <laughs> um, but I do think this kind of exists in the Thirteenth Warrior, uh, Jupiter Ascending, John John Carter of Mars. You know, like this is overall pretty, pretty forgettable. Um, I think it's, you know, if you have a fondness for it, you know, I can, I can understand and appreciate that, but, um, I don't think it's one that necessarily needs to be revisited. (laughs) Well, I guess that's your opinion. (laughs) You said it yourself. There's better work by Billy Zane. Yeah, yes, yes. You also you also like a shitty Beetlejuice ripoff starring one TV's Wonder Years, so. 
Get off that high horse there for a little bit, motherfucker. That's <laughs> <laughs> all just stuff I said in that episode. I'm not even sure saying that it stars TV's Wonder Years is really an insult. It's more just <laughs> reality. No, it's perfectly acceptable. Um, but yeah, so um, so that being said, my good Duez, what what else have you been watching lately? Um, I haven't really watched a whole lot. I've been trying to. Uh trying to look back through some of the things that I have watched. Um, you, you take the reins on this first, and then I'll, I'll come back to me. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll think of what I've been watching. Fair enough. See, this is why you need a Letterboxd account. Yeah, you, yeah. you can keep track of this shit. I mean, you can't keep track of random YouTube videos that you watch until, until midnight. <laughs> well, no, you can't keep track of that. But um, Now, for myself, uh, I recently watched... Uh, rewatched Emperor's New Groove. Uh, you can hear my thoughts, all my thoughts on that movie on um, the Geek Salad on YouTube. I watched Warrior, starring Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton, which uh, if you go over to Movie Marathoners podcast, I believe by the time this is posted, he should have posted the episode where we talked about that one. Um, and then last night I watched the Impractical Jokers movie. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, finally got to watch that, which made me very happy. Um, so we can discuss that a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, I like the movie. I didn't need as much of the opening flashback sketch bit as yeah. they gave me. Yeah. I feel like it... I feel like there was too much of it, although to give, you know, Sal's dad some, some beautiful moment of yelling and insulting his son. I was, I was, I supported that. Um, I thought the bits that they did were hysterical, um, with, you know, the individual challenges and, and essentially everyone having to do punishments throughout the episode, the, throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, cause what they did to Q, that was a punishment. That was a fucking punishment. Um, <laughs> I, great. I loved mainly just cause my eyes just happened to go right to it in just the right moment. I loved the Will Ferrell cameo. Where was that at? When, um, when Murr is walking down the street sad and those girls are sitting at the restaurant and they're like, is that Murr from Impractical Jokers? No, he's too sad. Plus, you know, those guys are too good of friends to ever not be together. You're right. When they're all doing that, literally, if you look in between all of them and up sitting beside two of them is Will Ferrell awkwardly eating a pizza. In a way that does not look like anyone would eat a pizza. <laughs> I could be crazy or, or just confusing this, but I think Funny or Die was a producer on that. They were a producer, um, okay. and one of their one of their regular writers was the director of the movie and the co-writer gotcha. of the movie with the Tenderloins. So okay. that's gotcha. that's why Will Ferrell has a cameo in the movie is because yeah, his, yeah, his his I, little I that was why yeah his his little Funny or Die venture was. 
was involved. So, yeah. Um, but I give big props for him for literally being in a m- people didn't even notice it cameo in the movie. Yeah. Um, but the, I mean the the bits were great. I I really enjoyed them. Um, my of of my group of friends from Los Angeles, one of which is um, Juicy from our last episode. Uh, he, he got me intru- into Impractical Jokers, uh, basically by going, there's a guy on there named Joe, he's you, but old and from New York. <laughs> and he showed, he showed me like one episode of Joe and just Joe constantly insulting the rest of them and then having no shame about doing certain things. And I was yeah. like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> um, and then Juicy is... Nine times out of ten, he's Sal. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, Duas, Duas has literally known him as long as we we did the recording for that episode, and goes, yeah, yep, yeah, that's that's that checks out. That checks out. That's that's about right. Um, but yeah, because we we definitely can I, be, just, can I be Q then in this situation? I would say. The, yeah, you would. I would say if you're anyone from Impractical Jokers, you are Q. I'll take I would say you are definitely a Q, because I can imagine that the best way to punish you would be to make you do presentations in front of people without any preparedness of what they're going to be. Um, like if I had, if I had to pick one of the punishments from the series to to make you do, I it would I it would be the making you go to a. Um, be a panelist for a women's equality thing and telling you that you had to disagree with everything everyone up there said. That would, that's exactly the one. That's exactly the one that I would, that I would give you. Um, whereas I, I know my, fr- a lot of there, there were lots of discussions of, of, from my, of my friends and I in, in college and after college being into the show, just, just going, yeah, Thomas, you're definitely Joe, but at the same time, like, it's annoying because we're just like, oh yeah, make him go into a public restroom and ask people for toilet paper. But we know you would do that with a smile on your fucking face. Cause I would. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you've known me long enough to know that. <laughs> As long as I'm not getting fired, I'd be like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I've I've rambled about my thoughts. What what were what were your thoughts with the movie? Um, I enjoyed it. I I you know I had a lot of fun with it. Um, but I did I did buy it for twenty dollars on uh on PlayStation Network. Um, I don't think it's the best twenty dollars I've ever spent. Uh, especially because there probably will be a point in time in the future when it's, you know, they just play it on true TV. Um, but I enjoyed it. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I don't get to watch impractical jokers regularly anymore. Um, not having cable, but, uh, getting to, you know, be, be with that group of guys again for an hour and a half or so was, was, was fun. Um, yeah. I do think the uh, the bits ran a little bit long. Um, the the scripted stuff wasn't all that great, 
you know. Except for the MERS, the MERS room running gags. That <laughs> yeah. was great. Yeah. Which apparently, because I, as I, as I always do, I was looking at IMDb trivia. Apparently, none of the guys knew what they were going to be opening the door to each time. <laughs> so their their reaction is their actual reaction to what they open the door to. That's great. Um, those those bits were funny. Um, the 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 bit at the beginning and the bit at the end with Paula Abdul, um, I didn't really love. Um, and I think there have been, you know, you could watch a best of video or something where there's, you know, there's been funnier bits that they've done, uh, funnier challenges throughout the, the series run. Um, well, they, um, true TV themselves on YouTube has, they did for their, uh, 200th episode, they did a 200 minute long video on YouTube of some of their best stuff. Um, Yeah. Which which includes one of my favorite punishments, which is uh, Joe being a manager at a restaurant, and eight of the tables are breakaway tables, and he has to find them. Um, literally, the first time I watched it, I woke Bree up because I was shaking the bed. Yeah, because I was laughing so hard. Um, but yeah, so they, the, I mean. There's, there's a lot of their stuff that you're able to catch on YouTube if you don't have cable or, or access one way or another to watching the show. Yeah. Um, they... uh, other, other than that, um, I think since the last time we talked, uh, I watched um, The Muppets, the Jason Siegel uh, movie uh, yeah. with, uh, with my son because he is really into the Muppets and Muppet Babies and we've watched Muppet Treasure Island at this point. Um, and that movie's just really good. It's really good. Muppet Treasure Island is amazing. Yes. Muppet, Muppet uh, Treasure Island is my favorite Muppets, Muppets movie. Cabin Fever um, is a staple in in my family. <laughs> the um, I think the Muppets movie that came out recently um you know, is, is probably my second favorite. I, I really like the, the, the cast in it. I like the cameos that they have. Um, I liked, you know, the, the, the music in that is really, really great. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> am I a man or am I a Muppet is like a really catchy song. Yes. And oh, I yes. love Jim Parsons in it as a, as a Walter real life. I, I give I give them so much props in the height of Big Bang Theory for keeping his cameo a secret. Because mm-hmm. there was, you you had heard that he might be in the movie, but you also knew that they were just going to have a ton of celebrities sitting doing the telemarketing thing at one point. So you knew that yes. there were going to be a bunch of celebrities and God knows how many of them you were actually going to, were going to be doing anything. So yeah. the the fact that they kept that secret, I give them so much props for. Yeah, I really like the um, the ability that the Muppets has to like kind of poke fun at themselves. Like mm-hmm. I really, I really just like the premise of the movie of of them being somewhat irrelevant now, and they <laughs> they can't get a TV special until Punch Teacher is taken off the air. Yeah. Um, I totally forgot that Donald Glover was that role too. So the last time I watched yeah. the movie, I went, "Oh shit!" <laughs> it's great. And then uh, I just love the end where they've got you know they're literally 
one cent short of the goal, and then Fozzie hits the board, and they're oh, yeah. like $99 million short. Yep. He's like, honestly, I feel kind of better. We weren't close at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is that is really great. Um, I For me, my, my favorite Muppet movie is The Great Muppet Caper. That's that will that that will probably always be my all time favorite. My my feeling on the Muppets is, I think it's a good movie. I don't think it's a Muppet movie. I think it's a movie about how much we love the Muppets. Yeah. Um, and I say that because traditionally with Muppet movies, you don't have so much of the time dedicated to non Muppet characters. Uh, yeah. which kind of annoyed me and it like right like I went into that movie having seen the trailers for the movie and I remember seeing the the one shot that made it very clear like we're gonna sing Rainbow Connection in this movie get ready yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I even I even warned Brie at the time I was just like look just we sat down in the theater and I looked at her and went just so you know when they start singing Rainbow Connection I'll be crying just yeah. so you know. Um, cause I always warn her when I'm going to cry at a movie partially just cause she never believes me. She never yeah. believes me. And then I get to in my tears, enjoy her reaction to, Oh my God, you were serious. <laughs> but I did get a little worried at the movie when it's starting really good and kind of fun. It's really not, got the Muppets in it yet, but okay, I can live with that. And then it gets to the point where Jason Siegel stands in front of a bunch of dancers and just has this kind of smug look on his face while he doesn't make any effort to dance with them. Yeah. And I was just like, Oh God. Oh, I, I, there's too much of him already. <laughs> Cause like, if you look through the, like the, the history of Muppet films, there's traditionally two human lead characters. One is the villain. One is either also a villain or a supporting person who's kind of helping the Muppets. Um, yeah. It's not usually we've got two lead non-Muppets non that are leads over the Muppets in all reality, plus the, the human villain. Yeah. Um, so that, that, I mean... It there was too much of of it being on them, um, in my personal opinion. Um, but what are you gonna do? Uh, again, great Muppet Caper, still in my opinion the best. Although I love Muppet Treasure Island, uh, all the music in Muppet Treasure Island is fantastic. All the music and all the music and there's really not a Muppet movie with bad music in it. And the reason I, and I'm not counting Muppets from space just because there's no original songs in that movie. So it really doesn't count as whether or not it had bad music because there was no original music to judge. <laughs> it had, it had a remix ver. it had like a weird poppy version of I'm going to go back there someday, but it wasn't, a, that was from the first Muppet movie. So don't care. <laughs> So you watch that. That's, that's pretty much it on my end. I mean, I've watched, I watched a couple things here and there, a little bit more Simpsons, a little bit more Archer, um, uh, chasing Amy for the, you know, 
thirtieth time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I did I did watch the the Jane Silent Bob reboot. You did. Yes, I think I liked it more than you. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's very possible. I I've I've come to the conclusion that if I liked the Jane Silent Bob reboot, I didn't love it. Um, I kind of think that you have to be a fan of all things Kevin Smith to love the reboot. And maybe you can, you know, challenge me on this. But I feel like so much of the film is predicated on, like, of course, you know, identifying all the characters throughout all of his previous films, but also, like, to see Ralph Garman and to be like, oh, man, Hollywood Babylon, and to see Mark Bernardin and be like, oh, man, Fat Man Beyond, and to see... Um, the comic book men, you know, having their panel and be like, oh, comic book men in the, you know, it yeah. does have, it, it's a mix of, you know, he's telling a story with the Jersey Chronicle, um, characters, but it, it does have that kind of yoga hosters comedy. Like they're, it's not quite as bad at points, but you know, I, I do think it has some of those sensibilities still. Well, the thing I will argue is that originally the the third act was supposed to be, it wasn't supposed to be him, it was supposed to be Stan Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, Stan Lee was supposed to have a, a substantial role in the film and then unfortunately passed away. Yeah. And so when he was rewriting the film, it feels to me like he sw- swapped it from making a movie that was sort of a love letter to everything that inspired him and he flipped it, put himself in the movie as sort of a, an insufferable, like what the, what people who don't like Kevin Smith think Kevin Smith is yeah. <laughs> version of himself. And then made a movie that's sort of a love letter to all of the people that have stuck by him for the like 25 years, give or take that he's been making movies. Yeah. Um, and I, and it's, you know, and it's one of those things that I think, it especially is easier for, for for us to to enjoy and feel the the weight of why it exists because you know part of the reason the movie exists is because of Kevin Smith both watching and being being a an, an enthralled spectator in be in watching Jason Mewes as a father but also being a father himself so there, you know, it's that sort of stuff. Cause to, to me, even though it doesn't seem it, there is a lot, this movie really shows the, the amount of maturity that has happened to him in his life. Cause yeah. like it's, you know, and the, the main example for me, and it's why, um, it may, the, I thought about mentioning that I'd watched the movie is when we get to the point where they're bashing Chasing Amy. Where you've got Joey Lawrence Adams' character uh, is pointing out that, like, this kind of a story should be told by at least a woman, if not a gay woman, and not just a straight white male. Not just being gay in the straight... And it's, like... A lot of the jokes in that movie, there's, like, one-offs to the camera. Like, there's all sorts of little things and jokiness but with that joke with that one it's more just like a boom this like i love this movie and i love so much that you guys love this movie but 
I, you know, I will happily sit here with you guys and have the main character from that movie state that I should not have been the one to tell that story. Yeah. And that, like, I mean, in the past, like, he would just do things like, I mean, with Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, it was, you know, you know, like, oh, Chasing Amy, oh, that would make a terrible movie. And it's that, like, one-off joke at the end of the movie when everyone's leaving the theater. Um, you know, just stuff like that. Um, I, I do think we need to talk specifically about this scene because this is this is my favorite scene in the movie. And it honestly is... A, is it should be used as evidence that Kevin Smith could write a damn good drama, probably even better than he could write a comedy right now. Um, because he has matured quite a bit and he understands, um, why aspects of his early films are problematic because they use problematic language or, you know, portray women in a certain light, or it's, it's telling a story that, you know, like you said, like he says in the film, isn't justified by being told by the, you know, white male point of view mm-hmm. um, and you know white straight male point of view um, but like that is one of my biggest problems one of my biggest problems with uh, Jane Silent Bob, Bob Strike Back and one of the biggest strengths of Jane Silent Bob Reboot is the Holden scene because Holden he's not like Holden in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back looks nothing like the Holden we see in Chasing Amy. Like, it's, it's, it was basically, it felt like, hey, Ben, come in and do whatever you want. Like, he t- he's really immature. Like, he, you know, the whole bong bit, like... <laughs> well, he's, well, I mean, him saying that at the beginning of, of seeing them, he then goes, like, oh, I've always wanted to do that. Get the fuck in here. Like, he's making fun of them because they would say shit like that to him. Yeah. But but, but I get what you're saying. To see him matured so much um, in this role and to hear the things that he says and, uh, you know, the, the, the line he has about how you know, you're not the star anymore. And, you know, you're the stage. Like, for them, you don't get to have a third act. Like, that is honestly some of Kevin Smith's best writing. Like, mm-hmm. it, certainly within the last five years and, like, possibly of all time. I would be very interested to see what would happen if he pulled out the script for Jersey Girl and rewrote it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, now that he's, like... Beyond just the fact that I'd like to see that movie just, you know, written over, like, taping over an old VHS tape. Um, yeah. The fact that now that he is a father, to write a, a to write a script like that as a father instead of just writing a, you know, writing, you know, a, a pleaser of, like, oh, it's a movie about a guy and his kid. Like, yeah. you know, he... The, arguably easy stuff to just kind of knock it out real quick. Um, but it'd be, it'd be really interesting to see him do something like that now. Um, and it, it honestly, I, I honestly think cause you know, he, and he doesn't 
he doesn't shy away from admitting it. He's he's big into the nepotism thing. I'd love to see him and his daughter co-write something together that as sort of therapeutic thing of them viewing their roles during his heart attack. Yeah. I think that'd be I I would love to see that movie. I would I would queue up in line opening weekend to go see that. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. But you know, I like you said um like I I I really really enjoyed um Jane's on Bob reboot. There's aspects of it that I love a lot. I love checking in with Brody. Um I I love the Ben Affleck scene. Um I think, you know, like I said, I think that's some of Kevin Smith's best work. I can agree. Um, sorry? I can agree with that. Um, but I do think there's there's a lot of it that is not great. Um, and, and, you know, um, some of it that just seems, seems like he can do better. Like, you know, I just... Um, yeah, that's that's kind of my thoughts on that. Yeah, and I can see that. I just I liked following up with some of these characters, and I liked, you know, because I my my all time favorite Kevin Smith movie is Dogma. That is my that's my all time favorite. Uh, yeah. Second place is Mallrats. So anytime you make any references to those movies, I'm happy. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I. The, actually, funnily enough, I was bummed until we got to the scene, and then I understood. I was bummed that we weren't getting um, the the other male characters from Chasing Amy, since we had like established that by the time Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back happens, they're dating. Yeah. Um, that like Jason Lee's character is finally like admitted that he's gay and clo- you know that he was closeted. Um, and is now dating the the other comic book writer. I would I would have loved to have seen them, but it, with what the, with where they decided to go with the chasing Amy stuff, I was really happy to to be like, yeah, you're right. They they don't belong here right now. That's just. But yeah, I it's he you know. Kevin Smith, he he is at his best when he gets to just say what he wants to say, whether it's on podcast or film. When he just when he just lets loose and and really says what he's thinking, that's when we get our best material from him. Yeah. But yeah, do you got uh, anything else that you'd like to tell the folks at home? No, just keep practicing social distancing. Um, you know, I know that, you know, our president is uh, outlining plans to, you know, reopen states and, and the three-phase plan to start allowing people to get out of their house, and it's probably way too soon, and if you have the means and the ability to stay home still, you should still do it. Uh, <laughs> That's, that's that's all I want to keep pushing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, keep keep up with the social distancing. Keep up with uh, you know when it when it comes to the education on all this stuff. Not to get political or preachy. 
uh, right now. But when it comes to all the information that's out there with this stuff right now, I quite frankly find it best to skip over American um, sources. Um, or at least if you do, make them a marginal part. Um, for, for myself, I, I, you know, I read Al Jazeera, BBC, The Guardian. Like, I try to stick with predominantly print stuff and not watching stuff on, on it. Um, because, and, you know, multiple news sources from multiple locations. Because if, if, if nobody has the same story, you should know that's a red flag. Um, which literally have people debate me at times that if you get like three sources from different countries and different political views saying the same thing, it must be true. And they'll just be like, I don't know. I'm just like, really? What else do you need? (laughs) Like, like, but anyway, it's, you know, yeah, do do what is do what is best for the the people around you as much as yourself. You know, I've got I've got baby brothers, I've got a daughter that's a toddler, I've got um you know, an infant nephew who's you know, not even a month old yet. I've got my sister who's recovering from giving birth. I've got my wife who is immunocompromised. They, if I'm doing social distancing, I'm, you know, both of my grandfathers have pacemakers, um, and, and other health issues. Um, yeah, it's, I, I have not physically seen any of my family in a little over a month now. And it kills me. But I want them to be, I do not want to risk that I'm going to take something into their houses and I don't want to risk that I'm going to bring something back. Yeah. Um, So just make sure to keep that kind of stuff in mind when, um, when you get, when you do get cabin fever, when you do get stir crazy, I know I get it myself. But, you know, use this time, like, I'm rewatching the MCU right now, so that way I can have my definitive ranking. Once I'm done with them, I'm going to do the Pixar movies. You know, I find, you know, find stuff like that to do. You know, find, like, Duez and I both have been heavy into video games. Um, I've, I've, I've gotten, like, almost 3,000 gamer on my gamer score just this, just in this month. Yeah. because of how much I've been playing games and some of the new games that I have as a result, yeah. you know, just find stuff to do, find projects, keep yourself busy, you know. We read Harry Potter in Spanish. Sure. <laughs> just taking a shot of juice. <laughs> <laughs> you know he's going to text me now. Yeah, that was a hot shot. Sorry, he's, you can give he's, my number. He's going to text me now and be like, the fucker's picking on me, man. I'm trying to be cultured and he's giving me shit. And they'll shrug and be like, I don't actually care. Um, but yeah, so guys, as always, you know, you can follow us at movies work on Twitter. You guys can uh, email us if you really want to movies after work at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow this podcast on 
um, iTunes, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify, a bunch of other different platforms. Uh, feel free to always be giving us your thoughts, opinions, if there's something that you want to see us do, or if the, if you dare to come on to our show, um, let us know that too. We are always happy to have our, our fellow podcasters come on to our show and make it sound a little bit smarter and, and more <laughs> polished. Um, so we always welcome that. Uh, you got any, you got anything left that you want to make sure people are aware of Mr. Duez? No, I think we covered the basis. All right. Well then for movies after work, this is Thomas Green. I'm Alex Duez. All right. Stay safe and have a good one.